Tune in to The Onyx Report, a bi-weekly analysis of how black males of all stripes experience American society and navigate misandry. Join me, Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, Associate Professor of Africana Studies at Fresno State and founder of the concept of black masculinism to examine the issues that impact the lives of black males. From history to politics, media to policy, and spirituality to economics, join me to explore the hidden stories of black men and boys and will discern them from the stories imposed on them. Listen to the Onyx Report live on innerlightradio.com every first and third Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out episodes on demand at your convenience on my website at www.thassanjohnson.com. Also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash dr.hassanj, Twitter at twitter.com slash lordhassan, YouTube at Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, and finally, my Black Masculinist blog at www.newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. critically analyzes the experiences, histories, and perceptions of black males in American society. I'm Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, Associate Professor of Africana Studies at Fresno State, black male advocate, and black male studies scholar. In the program, we examine current events while engaging concepts ranging from institutionalized anti-black misandry to gynocentrism from a black masculinist perspective. Our goal is to remind people of black men's humanity. Call in after a half hour to the show at 310-928-7733. All right, all right. Good day, everybody. Glad people uh, are listening in. That goes to the Interlight Radio community, uh, those who are coming to Interlight Radio to hear us, and also those who will be listening to this on YouTube. Please make sure you hit the like button and drop a comment uh, and subscribe as well. Um, we are in our sixth episode of the Onyx Report with Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, and this is a this is a pretty uh, exciting one for me because as a brother I, I really look up to, really value, uh, who's uh, agreed to uh, come on and be interviewed today. So, um, but before we get to that, uh, as I've started to do in recent episodes, I like to kind of give a, a smattering of some of the current events uh, that have taken uh, that have drawn my attention especially in regard to black males, that might color our conversation today a bit. Um, I'm definitely going to be throwing some, some, um, some current events at our, our guests and seeing what his thoughts are about it. First, I wanted to mention is that the film Brian Banks is still in theaters, to my knowledge, depending on your city. If you're in a place as small as Fresno, you probably got about a good two-week run before films like that disappear. But if you haven't had a chance to see it, I would urge you to go do it. Supported. I definitely encourage people to take, especially young black men, to see the film just to become aware of what's possible, uh, what they may be, what they may have to endure, what they may have to deal with and have dialogue with them about that. You know, um, but definitely go see the film, Brian Banks. I can say, sadly enough, um, 
I went to see it twice here in Fresno. And at one instance, I took my 14-year-old son, um, and the theater only had a couple of people in it. And as people know on my Facebook page and on my Twitter, I will take pictures of the theater and send them out because I want people to see it. You know, I started doing this back when Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation came out because it blew my mind that these stories about black males would get so little at such little attention. Right. So in that sense, I want people to see it. I want people to know what's going on. Uh, So definitely go support the film Brian Banks. Um, Also, shout out to uh, my academics in general who may be listening to this um, in light of what took place at Cal State Fullerton this past week where a Cal State Fullerton employee was killed uh, arbitrarily on campus. Uh, It's becoming more and more an occupational hazard to be uh, an academic on campuses. So just be mindful that this is happening. Keep your eyes open and your head on a swivel. Um, There are a couple of articles of note that I know we will be discussing in a little bit uh, that took place in the last couple weeks. Um, You know, you have Ryan Twyman, if, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name properly. It, it looks like Twyman. It might be Twyman uh, of, of L.A. who was shot by Los Angeles police, off, uh, police officers 34 times, um, as well as in the same day, I want to say four or five others who were killed um, by police officers. We have um, uh, Devon Bailey um, who were killed by Colorado Springs police on body cam uh, footage. Uh, when he took off running. And of course, we're easy and quick to dismiss anybody running as if running is synonymous with guilt. Uh, but when you've grown up as a black male in this system and you start to understand the relationship with the police, although I don't authorize, I don't, you know, I don't suggest that people take off running, it can be an impulse, uh, especially uh, for younger men out of fear because of how people have been treated. Even when I was young, uh, I would be routinely thrown on the ground by police officers and frisked arbitrarily and, and, and even threatened in terms of being accused of something I didn't do uh, just to you know, incite fear. So I do understand the impulse, and that does not justify his death. There are all kinds of other methods that could have been used uh, to sub- subdue him. Um, we also have black teens um, threatened at gunpoint by a white woman when they were going door to door in Wynn, Arkansas. Uh, knocking on doors, trying to raise money, uh, things of that nature. You have a black man framed by NYPD for rape, uh, Mark Denny, who was released after 30 years and found innocent of the crime and was awarded $10 million in court, court only if he agreed not to sue for up to $50 million, strangely mm-hmm. enough. Um, so these are the kinds of incidents taking place. Uh, Mateen Cleaves. Um, Michigan State, former Michigan State basketball star found innocent of sexual assault. Um, this is on ESPN. If you're interested, you can find the article there um, where the you know, jury didn't find um, the accuser's testimony believable. Her story kept changing, and yet Mr. Cleve's story didn't. And yet these are the kind of stories, going back to Brian Banks, that we're starting to see. Black men found more and more innocent on a regular basis. Uh, but then you have smaller stories. Like stories like the uh, young boy, I won't read his name, but you can find the article written uh, on the Yahoo website by Camila Newton, a seven-year-old boy who was handcuffed for crying. These are the kind of things we have to begin to pay attention to on a whole different level. Um, and that's, and I would say, especially in school, uh, across race, we have to be mindful of that. Um, but there are a series of stories like this that, that intrigue me uh, because they speak to the black male experience and yet 
can be easily dismissed. And I, and although I have 10 other stories uh, that I can share and we might bring up in the course of the discussion, the last one I want to bring up is the mother uh, of uh, a Texas, 35-year-old Texas woman who pled guilty uh, to taking her son to the hospital 323 times uh, with 13 major surgeries. Um, and this is uh, Kayleen Bowen, arrested on December 6, 2017, uh, for what she was doing to her child claiming he had a rare uh, genetic disorder when she was actually um, just inciting him for unnecessary surgery. So I want to put these things on the table because I think in many ways these frame the kind of conversations that I want to see happen where black men especially take center stage to reflect upon our experience and make sense of what's going on as well as inform. Well, today, um, one who I hope uh, and no, will continue to help us understand this, is one Dr. Ronald B. Neal, um, uh, Associate Professor, Department of the Study of Religions at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, Dr. Neal has an MDiv, an Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as uh, a PhD from Vanderbilt University in Religion, Ethnic, Ethics, and Culture. Um, those of you who may have had the chance to either watch the Black Male Studies online conference at Fresno State may know of him. You may know of him from his social media or from his books, the published uh, uh, author uh, of 2012's Democracy in 21st Century America, Race, Class, Religion, and Region, and that's on Mercer University Press. And he also has an upcoming text, Beyond Death and Jail, hip-hop, religion, and mass incarceration. So the brother is definitely uh, well-informed, and he's a good colleague. Um, We speak on a regular basis, and he's always bringing something new for me to consider. So I want to welcome Dr. Neal to the Onyx Report. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, man. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm I'm, 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 uh, honored to to be a part of this conversation, man. Oh, man. No, thank you for coming. I actually wanted to start. I, I have plenty mm-hmm. of questions to pose, yeah. but I actually wanted to start with your response to a quote. And mm-hmm. this is a quote from Amos uh, Wilson, Dr. Amos mm-hmm. Wilson, from his book, Black on Black Violence. Mm-hmm. And he says, to be an African-American male is to be singled out for intense and sadistic frustration, to be psychologically castrated, emasculated and feminized, to have your group and personal coin always devalued, to see your people praying hard, singing loud and long, ecstatically moaning, groaning, shouting, fainting and groveling before a hand-me-down God who seems to reward their spiritual devotion with ever-increasing deprecation, while those who flout the authority of that God are overloaded with earthly powers and possessions. Under such circumstances, it is not difficult to feel that the very heavens themselves are conspiring against African manhood. What are your most immediate responses to a statement like that? Wow, you know, Amos <laughs> Wilson was one of our, uh, uh, you know, great heavyweights, you know, and uh, and that 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 quote um, says a, a whole lot um, uh, in terms of um, black men and the the imagination, the religious imagination, and the way it has impacted our situation in the United States. I mean, what does it mean to uh, to acknowledge the fact that that black male, that misandry, anti-black misandry um, has been authorized, uh, mm. has been justified and legitimated uh, mm. by a religious tradition uh, shared by black people, white people, other groups of people, 
mm-hmm. tradition that is, you know, regarded as normative, universal, and necessary for all, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, when I hear uh, something along those lines, um, I can't help but think about black men, black men as sacrifices, as, you know, sacrificial lambs and the like. And, uh, and you know, black men uh, being subject to high levels of disposability Mm. Uh, based upon um, based upon how they are imagined, you know, mm. religiously, and uh, we've talked about this, you know, in in in, in detail um, in other conversations. But you know, in terms of the work that that I do, um, a lot of it deals with you know how we have been imagined and mm-hmm. the way in which um, uh, our you know uh, imaginings in the minds of others, uh, in the minds of people who look like ourselves are informed by a particular metaphysical ontological understanding of our existence in the world so Mm. so uh amos wilson with that with that quote um he just i mean in so much he encapsulates (laughs) uh something that would take us uh, an entire lifetime brother to Mm -hmm. really to really unpack if we would take it real seriously absolutely yeah absolutely now I said this on several of my shows that it, it's it's not always easy to find brothers who are in a position and or are willing to be outspoken about what's going on with black men. You have definitely been outspoken. Um, it, it, tell us, how did you you know come to that point where you decided to focus your work on the realities of, of black male existence? And, and tell us about, yes, how did you come to it? And tell us a little bit more about what you've done in terms of shaping your perspective and your argument about black men. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, the first part is, um, of course, you know, I'm a black man. I mean, it's, a, it's an existential thing. Um, you know, we don't, we don't approach scholarship in a vacuum. Um, we're not, you know, abstract entities. Uh, everything that we do in the humanities and social sciences comes from somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And so we mm-hmm. don't delude. I don't delude myself uh, or, or attempt to delude anyone into thinking that these questions, um, you know, do not have some type of uh, existential mooring. So that's a part of it, you know, and a lot of it has to do with my own biography um, and in terms of uh, growing up, uh, I'm a you know Floridian. I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh, growing up in the '80s and the '90s, uh, and dealing with um, what it meant to be a young black man, uh, you know, late teens, uh, early 20s, and like and the like, living during that era, living during the era of the super predator, mm. uh, and the ideology um, that was directed towards uh, our generation. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and younger, younger men, and so let's just say that um, that era just it it, it, it a, a profound uh, had a profound impact on on my life as well as the lives of, of young black men who I grew up, men who uh, many men who are incarcerated right now, uh, some who are not who will never come home. They have no release date, you know. Mm. Uh, involved in drug trafficking, uh, in jail for homicide and the like in different states, Florida, Alabama. Um, and so, uh, you know, my my you know move and my concerns about you know masculinity and the like, you know, have that have that there uh, in those experiences. But but more formally, uh, in terms of um, you know academic work and the like, you know, it was me being a social science major. I I, I um, 
I graduated from uh, Florida International University in Miami, Florida, and and I was in a social science department where um, uh, the degree that was conferred was one in sociology and anthropology, and mm. it was and it was in those areas that I began to look at questions of gender and masculinity and the like, and uh, and began reading. Um, you know, deeply uh, in black sociology, um, black psychology, and, and the kind of questions that were um, being wrestled with. You know, Amos Wilson, you know, is, is one person that you you mentioned, uh, Naeem Akbar, um, mm-hmm. all of the kind of Afrocentric thinkers that were very, very popular in the 1990s, Malefe right. Asante, you know, John Henry Clark, all those figures, all those figures, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then kind of it, it, it evolving, you know, um, and so I was also interested in religion because um, existentially, you know, I was involved um, in churches, um, doing church work. I'd you know, been a minister um, mm-hmm. and went to a theological school in preparation for, um, you know, engaging in full time kind of, you know, ministry. And um, but also wanting to 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 to, to pursue that academically. So I, I had I had aspirations of not just doing kind of concrete ministry in churches and in the streets, but also to um, to do do it academic in terms of thinking, theoretical thinking, theology, and the like. And so um, let's just say that that was my trajectory. And mm-hmm. um, and and it just it was it was something that was inescapable in terms of the 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 type of research um, and scholarly program that I felt, you know, I had to undertake um, as I evolved, you know, mm-hmm. and so so questions uh, around you know masculinity never left, and, and so in, in in addition to all of what I just said, you know, it, it's the, the the impact of coming along in the academy um, and being a minority, being um, uh, in a situation where you know there are very few black men who are you know working in in uh, various fields and uh, and dealing with the gender politics, you know, feminism, um, uh, uh, queer theory, uh, post-structuralism, and all the questions that, you know, we um, are, are, are encountered, we are confronted by as we work on PhDs and the like, and so, and also having to, to work that out. Um, um, but, but I would say this, it is the, the question for me, so theologically and religiously, you know, there were there were questions that um, I had to deal with coming out of um, that type of milieu that were coupled with the stuff, the stuff of life that I was encountering coming up and what I experienced as a young man in, 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 a, in more pointed uh, terms. So the questions about black men and um, uh, uh, misogyny and homophobia black men as boogeymen and the like um all of that you know kind of what was you know crystallized into one sort of thing and uh let's just say that eventually i decided to write because i wanted to respond to much of the the mythology mm. uh, and the pathology um that was directed towards black men you know this whole idea of the black boogeyman uh, this idea, um, which I call ontological evil, you know, that is that black men, black men are seen as inherently evil, that black men are inherently evil, black men are irredeemably, you know, mm-hmm. evil. Right. Um, and that we are, you know, get prone to, to, to violence, all levels of violence, 
um, that you know we're threats to uh, to women, to children, to communities, to ourselves, on and on and on and on, and the extent to which you know there was really no 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 real no response to that, particularly in my in my area uh, of religious studies and theological studies. It was just a a foregone conclusion that mm. all of the assumptions about black men being pathological and predatory yeah. uh, were accurate. Okay. And and so um, so it's one thing to deal with that in terms of writing, uh, but writing has its limitations. You know, writing yeah. is necessary. Writing is is imperative. We, we have to you know we, we, it's our bread and butter. But um, but also to to deal with it you know in an activist kind of way in, in a very public way because our lives the this, this, the, this, the situation that black men find themselves in you know is a, is a very 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 public thing in terms of death you know um, you know the, like the, the the work I'm working on right now book beyond death in jail um, really attempts to to capture the reality that when we walk out our doors um, we are presented with this eminent threat mm. of being killed you know yes and, uh, and 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 it means something to uh have a conversation about black men where death is the starting point you mm. know where where our mortality is the starting point versus uh how we are imagined by others as predators as uh misogynists as homophobes as you know all of these these things that have been um uh, imagined about black men so in a very very broad way um you know that's that's you know how i came to to where i am and this you know and it's an ongoing ongoing thing but it's it's existential um and it's you know it's theoretical it's academic it's all of those things well tell me bro it, it, if you could is there a, an experience a direct experience you had um, that really forced you to start pondering what what's going on with us, uh, and 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 is there also an, an experience you had in the academy, whether that was in grad school or as a professor, that that further affirmed that this is something you had to take seriously in your work? Because a lot of us, you know, a lot of brothers in the academy know what's going on; they've experienced it. But again, mm -hmm. it take it takes something else. To get you to a point to be public about these kind of things, these are usually things discussed behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But what were there any experiences, you know, outside of the academy or and or inside the academy that really opened you up, that really forced you to ask these questions and deal with this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I would. You know, for me, um, you know, dealing with the fact that um, I am. First generation. I'm a first generation um, scholar, and you know what I'm doing. Um, I I don't come from a family background uh, that prepared me for this this journey. And let's just say that professionally, um, I encountered I, I encountered serious um, professional obstacles um, that I perceive as being related to the fact that yeah, black male um, from a particular background. Um, uh, you know, and, and also just just life and living and, you know, mm -hmm. mort mortality, you know, and, and I think, you know, the, the economic precarity that that we have our vulnerability, you know, mm -hmm. um, as as men. And then, you know, you know, dealing with these notions about, you know, black male privilege and, and the like and this whole idea that, 
you know, we black males exist inside some type of, you know, paradise. You know, we have this passport mm-hmm. to uh, to everything, and uh, and and really, you know, you know, really, you know, becoming dis despondent and mm-hmm. um, and let's just say um, um, upset, uncomfortable, um, tired of the quietism. So there's a there's this 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 type of quietism that exists. Um, that we know too well, where we uh, we agree that as black men in the academy, that we will be we will censor ourselves. We will not say anything um, about black masculinity in any in any kind of way that could be regarded as offensive to others. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so and so I decided um, because of the work that I was doing, and so and a lot of it had to do with my work. And I, I would go back working with black males. I had an experience um, in Atlanta, Georgia. I spent one year at Morehouse College as a um, as a dorm director, resident um, uh, uh, a, a manager, and and I had for one year dealing with freshmen uh, at at Morehouse College and and dealing with much of the stuff that these young men were bringing, you know, to the college, uh, wrestling with personal issues. Um, you know, bringing them from their their homes, families. You know, you know, young men having problems, issues with you know with um, substance abuse and what have you. Young men, you know, discovering that you know his girlfriend is pregnant. He don't know what what, what am I going to do? Um, who do I turn to? Um, you know, all sorts of psychological uh, issues that were happening at that you know at that in, in that space. But also at that particular time, it was the late 1990s. Um, this was after. Uh, you know, Tupac and Biggie and the like, and mm-hmm. there was this real concern. So I was, I was, uh, me along with another uh, a set of uh, individuals from the Interdenominational Theological Center were brought to Morehouse College uh, to do something to the culture because there was this concern that these black males at this prestigious school um, had been. Um, seduced and enamored and were being destroyed by this quote unquote thug culture that was mm-hmm. being you know informed by hip hop and the like mm-hmm. and uh, and let's just say that um, that was one of the formative experiences that I had um, that really that really convinced me that I needed to say something about this and address these issues at some point uh, in time and, uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and, it, and so what happened I carried that with me and later on uh, when I earned a PhD and I worked, um, uh, you know, prior to being at, at Wake Forest, I taught several years at HBCU and, uh, and living in South Carolina, living in, in Orangeburg, South Carolina, Claflin University. And I lived there for six years and I wrote my book while I was there. And, uh, and I saw and here in, in that experience itself, um, working with low income, first generation um, youth. Uh, and even living in South Carolina and living with the the conditions, and so the book, the first book that I wrote, um, uh, you know, was informed by that experience, a book on democracy and dealing with this thing that I called Third World America, mm-hmm. and and black men were caught up in it, you know, in terms of prisons and all of that, and it was just inescapable. I couldn't get around it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so um, I just I, I had this conviction. Um, you know that you know pretty much you know compelled me to to uh, to, 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 to 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 vocalize it to, to, to speak it is it's just something that we can't um, 
uh, ignore. And there was too much, too much quietism. There was too much um, resignation around these issues. Right. And and I felt that I just I, at at a particular time uh, with social media, with the blogs, and all of that. Um, I chose not to just confine myself to academic conferences and and articles and book you know book book reviews and the like and to you know hit social media and just talk about it publicly and to deal with whatever may come from that you know well what 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 would you say has been the response how have you been regarded um, uh, whether in professional circles or privately or I should say socially but how how what has the response been to being outspoken about black men you know the the response is it's, it's been interesting it's been um you know it, it's been a mixed response on the one hand um you know i've had you know professional colleagues and others who you know have pulled me to the side and expressed their concern um about my my outspokenness and and concern about the implications and consequences of you know what i might post on facebook and what i've written on blogs and the like um, and you know, and these are folks who are genuinely concerned about my my future and well-being. Um, and uh, but on the other hand, you know, I have other people who have, you know, they have, you know, um, uh, supported me, you know, and they they you know have 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 been um, enriched um, mm-hmm. by by the candor, you know, and uh, people who themselves, for whatever reason, um, choose not to be as public. Uh, and choose not to, um, you know, to speak, be speak forthrightly about, um, you know, these kind of issues. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, it's, so it's been a divided response. But, but um, I, I stepped out because, you know, f- for me, uh, you know, we're in a very precarious space, and um, you know, the issues of black people, though we work within the academy. The issues of black people transcend the academy, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, knowledge production, I don't think. And it's like what we're doing here and what you're doing here with black knowledge, you know, knowledge production cannot be limited uh, to these academic spaces. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the conversation about, you know, black men, black masculinity, black boys, uh, that conversation cannot and should not be limited to uh, to colleges and universities, you know, especially in light of the history, <laughs> right. you know, of, of demonization um, that colleges and universities have participated in, in terms of um, how we've been seen in this in this country. And so um, I, I gladly, you know, stepped out there. And, and I will say this, you know, forthrightly, you know, you know, there are consequences and there are, you know, there are penalties. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, my career has been impacted um, by my candor. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, and I, and I, and I live with it. <laughs> right. And it, it, it is what it is. But it is, it is a challenge, and what you're pointing out, you know, follows us to the academy as well. You know, and, and people, you know, often miss that. In other words, um, in, in many instances, we look at it like we've finally gotten, if we've gotten our child to college, it's over. We got them there. Everything is good. And I've seen, you know, young men who, who get to campus and end up in the same kind of situations or even even in terms of the same types of false accusations mm-hmm. as brothers who may have never stepped foot on a college campus. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. The very first time I taught my black male course, the very first time, very first semester, very first day of class, as I was walking to the door, 
two things happened. Two people uh, were at the door. One was a detective and mm. one was a military recruiter. Wow. The military recruiter wanted to, before I even spoke to my class on the first day, wanted to see if he could recruit black males from class wow. to the military. Wow. Right. And it was really interesting because, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to remember the ranks because I don't. So those uh, brothers who are from the, uh, from the military listening to this, I apologize already. But um, of course, he was a higher rank than the assistant he brought with him, uh, who was a brother. And I managed to pull the brother aside at a particular point, and I asked him very pointedly, "How many black men do you know of that are at, you know, the guy you came with at his level?" And he did. He he didn't want to speak clearly. You know, he, he you know he just kind of looked at me like I can't I can't verbalize that. Mm -hmm. But I said so. I reworded the question. I said, "Are there you know, can you identify you know three? And he was like, he just shook his head no. Mm -hmm. You know, so so here we are yeah. on the very first day where I'm asked to assist in the recruiting of black males from college uh -huh. to the military, the yeah. knowing full on from the black male who's coming to help with that process that wow. they will likely not be wow. able to advance anywhere near their yeah. white counterparts. So that was one person. The detective, on the other hand, was there mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. he was suspecting that there was a student in the room that was uh, a suspect or considered a suspect in a, 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 a liquor store robbery. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, my God. So I haven't even opened yeah. the door to the door. class yet. Yeah. 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 I don't even know who the students are. Yeah. And these are the two people waiting on me. So when you talk yeah. about how black men are viewed, yeah. it, it, it's so deeply embedded yeah. in, in, in the culture and the engagement, the day to day goings on. It's so deeply embedded in the belief system. Absolutely. Um, that it's it's difficult to kind of move past and i find many black males need a level of support that they're often not able to even articulate uh, because many of the programs even those programs earmarked for black students target mm -hmm. girls yeah you know what i mean so even at this point i've been at fresno state for this is i think this is my 11th year yeah um the population has dropped more than half Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of black students and the population of black males is is is, is far smaller than the population of black females. So I watch this yeah. and, and usually and I say this all the time, I go to black graduations, every single one I've been at, there's been an incredible ratio of mm -hmm. eight to two as far as black males graduating. Mm -hmm. um, hell, even last week I, I lectured at uh, an incoming freshman seminar for black students. And I want to say it might have been. I think it was like a, a, maybe 11, 12 students, two or three may have been male. You know, these are the dynamics that I see on a regular basis. Yeah. So the, the, the hostility that you talk about is definitely present. It's definitely a, a, a regular feature. Now, have you seen that going on as well? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, in terms of the disparities, I mean, I've seen it my entire career. You know what I mean? I mean, I saw it. So right now, I, you know, I teach at a at a, at a rich white school in the South, you know, mm. uh, but I, you know, I. That's a trip I, unto itself, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and um, and prior to being there, I, I taught at a, I would say, a, a poor black school in the South. You know what I'm mm. saying? And so okay. I went from. I've seen one going from one pole to the other, you know what I mean? And in both situations, in a predominantly black context and in a predominantly white context, you know, the the, 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 the gaps are just there, you know, I, I, overwhelmingly. Uh, the, the, the students that I have taught have been female, you know. Um, mm. When I was at HBCU, I mean, over 70% of the students that I taught were, were black and female, you know. Mm. Uh, my last semester, 
uh, I taught a course. It was a course called Religion and Science, and I had a good number of students who were in the natural sciences in that course. And I had 30 students, and I would say 90% of the students in that class were black females, okay? Mm. And so um, um, I've, I've seen it. You know, you know, it, 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 where I am. I mean, it's just typical. I mean, what you're describing, I think, is typical across the board. Um, you know, in, in in the PWIs, and and I see where I am. You know, the, the black males who are there, athletes, football players, basketball players, uh, and the like. Um, um, but black males who uh, who are just, you know, general regular students who are not a t- tied to a scholarship. And they right. have scholarship, you right. know. You know they are, you know they are they are far and few in between, you know. Mm. And 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 that's just a, an unfortunate, ugly uh, fact that um, that we uh, refuse to really grapple with, you know. In 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 light of um, in light of all of the the kind of you know gender. Um, uh, ideology uh, that we we have to re- wrestle with, you know. I, I I think that that's it's a it's 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 it's, it's a shame. It's it's tragic um, that we we have such a skewed view of black masculinity um, that is rooted in this type of and I and I and I, I I see it in terms of of metaphysics and this type of otherworldly. You know, uh, e- e- perception of black males that we can hardly even deal with the, the facts on the ground. You know that 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 you have in the black community, in particular, uh, we talking about the black middle class. That the black middle class, if we're going to talk about a black middle class, um, is is overwhelmingly female, um, and that the black middle class is, is is a class where you know black men are just they are they are not represented in the kind of numbers. Um, that that you would find in other populations, you know, sure. compared to populations, sure. and so, so yeah, I, I see it every day, you know, and and as we going into a new semester, you know, I you know I, I'm going to see it, uh, you know, more, you know, right, it's, right, it's, it's, it's just a persistent um, problem. Well, this and it to me it goes back to an argument I've been making that that you're not supposed to say, which is that Black America is basically a gynarchy. It's mm-hmm. run as a gynarchy. You know, it's mm-hmm. close to eighty percent of our families are you know are produced mm-hmm. in a context where men are not present in any formal major context. And when you talk, when you match that with mm-hmm. the education that you just mentioned, with the numbers, the dynamics, what we're mm-hmm. seeing more and more is is a dynamic where. Males are, are, are really kind of disposable in a particular way, and yet the families are primarily rooted in uh, a kind of female dynamic. And I say that because even, you know, I've rarely heard that openly discussed in mm-hmm. academic settings. I did see, uh, to her credit, one undergrad student at a, mm-hmm. at a major conference in Texas I went through in 2015, mm-hmm. and she wanted to talk about uh, the, you know, just the existence of a black matriarchy. She didn't even for, for you know she didn't even proffer an opinion she was just saying yeah. it happened and she was kind of <laughs> kind of gently pulled off stage and, mm-hmm. and you know and, and it was kind of the end of the presentation but nobody wants to kind of talk about this dynamic and how it it it, it kind of shapes uh, relations um and i'll give you an, another example i posted mm-hmm. this week about uh a black male mm-hmm. who apparently invited uh a woman 
uh, who was not his wife. So I think his wife was gone. This is an article mm-hmm. in the Grio, and the title of it is New Jersey Man's Side mm-hmm. Chick Burns His House Down After He Stood Her Up for Sex. Oh, wow. And, bas- and basically what happened was he, he his wife was gone. He invited a, another woman to his house in the middle mm-hmm. of the night, and then he fell asleep. And when wow. she when he didn't answer the phone, she mm-hmm. went back to a gas station, went and got some uh, gas and some oh, matches wow. or whatnot, and came back and burned his house down. Wow. And, he, and he had to walk or run his way to the police department with second and third degree burns. And 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 the and the reason I mentioned that in this context is I posted mm-hmm. the article, mm-hmm. really to kind of show how, you know, in a way the dysfunction that we see in many contexts, even in terms of our relationships. Mm-hmm. has actually been shaped and this is an ongoing conversation i have with with, with people on social media mm-hmm. has been shaped by policies been shaped mm-hmm. by a very particular history and in many ways where black mm-hmm. men and women have been turned against each other mm-hmm. but what i was saying in this piece by posting it was we have a difficult time empathizing mm-hmm. for black males and sure enough the response i got mo- first and foremost was about how he you know was at fault for you know the infidelity in other words infidelity over you know <laughs> kind of it overshone yeah. you know uh, attempted murder you yeah. know what i mean the, yeah. the level of accountability and even with people mm-hmm. who would start by saying well yeah we agree that she should go to jail would spend the next x amount of time at least mm-hmm. nine times the amount of time talking about infidelity mm-hmm. but not about this uh, which is really intimate partner violence you know, yeah. And, and that's what I find interesting because it's not this story. There are a million others that I post on regularly every mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. where people can just kind of overlook. And we have a difficult time associating black men with being victims, being victimized and being worthy of acknowledgement, empathy and advocation politically on yeah. their behalf. Do, yeah. do, have you have you seen that in terms of your experiences? Yeah, the, the, you know, I, I think you you nailed it. Um, you know, we don't see black men as victims. Um, you know, victimization is a luxury that black men don't have. You know, mm. victimization is reserved for other populations, other groups. You know, um, you know, it's 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 our disposability. You know, it's it's the fact that black men, you know, um, you know, can be sacrificed. Black men can be used as crash dummies for all sorts of things. You know what I mean? And um, and you're right. I mean, there is. I mean, there is. There is no empathy. And I mean, if if you if 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 you belong to a population, black men in particular, you know, who are who are imagined as being outside of the human, you know, mm-hmm. if you are, if you are right. imagined, here's the thing: if you're imagined in demonic terms, and, and that's the problem. So so black men are are imagined in in deeply demonic terms. Yes, okay? sir. And so because we're imagined we're imagined this way. Um, it is impossible, you know, when we're killed, uh, whether we're killed uh, by intimate partners, whether we're killed, you know, by the police or the state and whether, whether we, you know, we're, we're killed unjustly, Trayvon Martin, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, it, it's 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 this imagine this imaginary um, that justifies our deaths, you know, and w- where, you know, the people who victimize us, you know, they become. They're the ones who become, you know, they, they become victims, you know, and they mm. become so. So the conversation is not about this person, um, you know, jeopardizing this man's life. The conversation is about, you know, how she's she's being victimized by his infidelity. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So that, that when the infidelity uh, becomes the greater concern, yes. uh, it has more priority uh, over the fact that someone 
you know, in, engaged in uh, an attempted murder. That's attempted murder. You know, and it's funny as you said that because I thought about you know years ago, uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez and uh, and Andre Risen yes. uh, at the Atlanta Fall Falcons and that story. You know, his, she she burning down his house. Uh, you know, because of you know concerns about infidelity and, and other things. You know, and so. Um, yeah, yeah, we do not have that luxury. And, and that means that there's no intervention, uh, no advocacy. Uh, it means it means that interventions, it means that advocacies, advocacy rather, on the behalf of black men um, become problems for others, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you advocate, uh, you know, for uh, a black male who is quote-unquote victimized, you are engaging in a kind of a criminal act. If you're talking about a kind of intervention, you're engaging in a criminal act. If you turn the gaze and and, and you turn him into a, a victim and and you and you look at this other person and that person becomes um, a victimizer, you know, that mm-hmm. becomes problematic for um, for a variety of interests and constituencies and the like. So it's, it's, it's like... And, and but let's let's also keep in mind when you look at the end of the article about the New Jersey man, they mention another person in another incident, 33-year-old Tasha Young, mm-hmm. uh, charged with aggravated uh, arson in April for setting fire to her boyfriend's duplex. Now understand the connection between the two things. Mm-hmm. She burnt. She she attempted to. She set fire to his duplex mm-hmm. because she was angry that he sent her home in an Uber. Because mm-hmm. I guess I guess they were having a threesome, and he decided to stay with the other woman. In the first news story about the New Jersey man, mm-hmm. she was angry, not that he, he you know, fell asleep. You know, it, that wasn't her assumption. She was angry that how dare he call me of all people mm-hmm. over here. So what I'm getting at is is there's an expectation and an entitlement mm-hmm. about what is, is, is expected of black men. But mm-hmm. when it reaches a point where it's attempted murder, mm-hmm. it's still acceptable and we still have to find ways to make sure that we blame him from the beginning and yet nothing that took place warranted his death you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. and so when we get to when i when i say entitlement i'm talking about the kinds of beliefs manufactured over time uh, in regard to black men and i think in, in, within the black community black men themselves are taught that they are beneath others yes. most particularly Absolutely. women and so we have an entrenched belief i would argue that mm-hmm. black men are fundamentally beneath Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not no, worthy of consideration. Go, please, go ahead. No, no, ab- absolutely. I think that, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, we have internalized it. I think that ideology, um, anti-black, you know, misandrous ideology has been very, very effective um, historically and particularly over the last, you know, 50 years, you know, uh, the idea, you know, that um, that black that their black male life, you know, has no value, um, you know, other than some type of utilitarian, you know, purpose, you know, serving somebody's interests, uh, being used for something, you know, and we, 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 we fail in some capacity to live out that type of utilitarian interest, then we become problem. we become prob- problems, then we become um, candidates for all all sorts of disposable disposal plans, you know, mm-hmm. and so you can imagine, you know, if someone had this sense of entitlement, 
um, who is offended because um, this person is not performing a particular kind of role. Mm-hmm. And so, so because he's not performing a particular kind of role, um, that he becomes he's, he becomes expendable because he's not performing his role. He is he is subject to punishment. You know, so there there are larger, you know, there are larger things there. I mean, so it's like, you know, when we talk about you know black men, say police police violence. I mean, we live in a society where um, those who are not black men, citizens, okay, uh, are given a license. You know, when mm-hmm. we see when we see when we see uh, incidences, okay, like Eric Garner. We see incidences of black men, uh, Alton Sterling, who are yes. who are killed by police, and those instances um, become replicated over and over and over and over and over again in mm-hmm. our media and social media, you know, saturated worlds. Then that normalizes. That normalizes yes. Yes. our 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 disposability. That says that you have a license to kill us and that you if you kill us nothing will happen to you if you kill us you will be rewarded and you can be you know you can come up with all sorts of strange absurd and weird justifications for uh exterminating a black male and and, mm-hmm. and so i think that's the that's the larger thing it's just it's we have been trained black men have been trained um to 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 to, to see ourselves in that same way i mean we have a very difficult time in terms of our communication and interrelations because you know we see each other as threats to each other you know mm-hmm. and we see each other through the lens of the dominant you know the the, the, the larger society you know mm-hmm. and, and so and so it, it it doesn't take a whole lot for a, a one black male you know to 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 dispose of another black male and and find all sorts of justifications for that you know mm-hmm. um and so I, I, yeah it, it is it, it's a you know, and for me, again, it's, it's, this is this is really in terms of the imagination. We just we have a belief system, we have uh, assumptions, we have a priori notions that contribute to all of this. You know, and right. so for, for, so for me, somebody who's in you know who who studies religion, uh, who theorizes religion, I mean, all of this is a part of it. This this metaphysics. Um, and, and, and it and it contributes um, to our death. And so now, now see, I want to get to that because we have less than ten minutes, and I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to better understand how, yeah. your work with because meta- it's, it's not only metaphysics, you also deal with with, with uh, uh, literature and, pro- and pop culture, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, so I'd like to know more about how those links, especially considering in the last week, L.A. Times just released a, a, an article saying uh, getting killed by police is now one of the leading causes of death for young black men in America. Mm. This is a piece written by Amina Khan, and it mm. says about one in a thousand black men and boys in America can expect to die at the hands of police according to a new analysis of death mm-hmm. involving law enforcement officers mm-hmm. now that and then it says that makes them two and a half times more likely than white men and boys to die at an encounter with cops now we can relate that to what we were also saying earlier mm-hmm. because if we're talking about a gynarchy yeah. you know and, and we're talking about intimate partner violence we're also we got to also look at the work of Sonia Starr assistant law mm-hmm. professor at University of Michigan mm-hmm. who makes the argument that men receive sentences that are 63% higher on average than their female counterparts for the same mm-hmm. crimes mm-hmm. right when you factor those things together how do you how do you find the the the, the kind of equity in metaphysics to, mm-hmm. to to see the reflection of that Where, you know how what how do you describe that 
Well, I, I, I would say, you know, I, I can't say that I see any equity. I would say that, um, you know, metaphysics. So if we want to understand, you know, why you have these disparities in terms of sentences, uh, whether they're, you know, uh, they're interracial disparities or they're um, uh, intraracial, you know, disparities, I, I, I think that we have to look at um, again, yeah, this, this this type of imaginary. So I, I, I give an example. So Paul Butler, um, the the legal scholar, um, you know, he uh, in his book, his, his most recent book, Chokehold, you know, he he ver- he basically says, and it's a book about he, he attempts to give black men uh, advice on how to deal with police and deal with the prison, the, the criminal justice system, and, and the like. And this is a he's a former federal prosecutor. Um, and, and this is a prosecutor who just, with candor, says that black men cannot get any justice uh, through our criminal justice system. That it is just, it's rigged, it's fixed, and the like, and that black men have to, you know, resort to all sorts of survival strategies in order to prevent from getting caught up in that, okay? Um, he talks about Karif Browder, you know, and, and, and that, you know, Butler, Butler, uh, says that he that that had he counseled Karif Browder while he was in jail, he would have counseled him to take a plea deal. You know, yeah. Karif Browder did not take a plea deal. He fought his case and, and until he was finally uh, exonerated, okay? But Butler, who was this federal prosecutor, <laughs> he says that it wasn't worth it, that he could have he should have played out, you know, so wow. that he would have got, gotten out of jail early. Okay. Yeah. So what does that mean? That means that there are there are entrenched. We're talking about an entrenched belief system that is beyond. I mean, it, it is it is beyond the human. It is beyond the material. It exists within. It, it exists within consciousness. We can't get to the these material consequences without attending to this metaphysical problem. And I, I can't say. Um, I don't know how to overcome it. All I can say is that it's 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 something that is befuddling. It is absurd. Um, it 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 is it is it's it, it's crazy. Think about this. So we are we are so black black people consistently have been thirteen percent of the population. Okay, mm-hmm. you know seven uh, percent of that thirteen percent black female, six percent you know of that thirteen percent black male. How is it? How is it? That six percent of the population is imagined in such heinous ways, okay? That we have this major disparity in terms of the prison population, in terms of disproportionality, you know, over fifty percent and the like. And how is it six percent of the population, and we have these major disparities in terms of unemployment? I can only, I can only think about this in metaphysical terms. I can only think mm-hmm. about this. And, and, and it's, it's the imagination. It what happens to us within the imagination, and, and what we're dealing with is, you know, four centuries, man, four centuries of thinking in, informed by religion. Religion has played a very uh, a sinister role in yeah. this. The traditions, in terms of slavery, in terms of uh, the influence of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament on how we think about black people, we forget that. I mean, it, it, it was it, you know Christianity. Just, it was it was uh, justified uh, by the New Testament and the Old Testament. You know, we have these legends, these stories, the myth of Ham, and all of that. Or, the, or some would call it uh, Noah's curse. 
Um, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that sort of thing. Okay, that has been a part of the American imagination for centuries, and yes. and this is what we are up against over and over again. We can't deal with this material stuff because of all this metaphysical baggage that's in our way. Uh, but 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 if you're asking the question, how do we get around it? I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer right now. All I can say, you know, as theorists, as thinkers, as intellectuals. We can conceptualize and we can think about it. We can, you know, you know, go beyond the social sciences and political science or what have you, and look at um, and, and, and just think about how the imagination hell contributes to our social demise. Absolutely, absolutely, and that, and I think uh, we only have four minutes left, so I'm going to yeah. be very uh, concise. But I think yeah. that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring my show to YouTube because there's been a population of brothers across the country who have been having these discussions yeah. and they're in many ways uh, you know brothers in the academy listen to this on a regular basis but yeah. often don't participate for fear of reprisal Absolutely. and yet the dialogue has been extremely robust it's been it, you know it's been going on for several years now and mm-hmm. i think it's something that i want i want to have a more of a connection with because in order to come up with solutions in order to come up with ideas we need to be able to do so across class across occupation but 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 i'm also very especially in the early aspects of these episodes of my show i'm trying to bring in more of the academics because i want people to know that the brothers who are on the on the campuses are experiencing the same thing in many ways that that we've been experiencing before we were on the campuses you know and so i want those conversations to come together while we build a vocabulary to make sense of this because in many ways we haven't and there really hasn't been uh, uh you know the kind of gender movement on behalf of black men that's helped us make sense of our gender experience gender is still kind of synonymous with female and we have right. to kind of open that up but mm-hmm. in the last uh, you know in the last two minutes yeah. if you could tell us two things one uh, what people can reflect on about the way metaphysics applies to the lives of black men and then two where they can find you where they can hear more and get more uh, of your work mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and I, I the, the, the big thing is that we have a we cannot we have a, a very difficult time talking about material conditions we have very very difficult time talking about the material realities um, we can talk about like Recently, the Brookings, the Brookings Institution put out a report on the economic condition of black men. Okay, yes, a very, very significant study. All right, mm-hmm. um, we've had at least two generations. These studies show up, you know, within each generation. All right, I mean, we, we can go back to Du Bois. We can look mm. at East Franklin Frazier. Yes, you sir. can even look at Moynihan, Patrick Moynihan, who was influenced by both Du Bois and Frazier and the like. Mm-hmm. We can look at Robert Staples, okay? Yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, we've got e- even someone like Orlando Patterson, uh, sociological, the, the 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 sociologist from Harvard. I mean, we've had we've had all this stuff, history, economics, to teach us where our condition is. However, we have been impeded from taking this seriously because of this, this this metaphysical stuff, this stuff, this idea that black men are these boogeymen, are demonic, and who are not worthy. They are not worthy of serious consideration, that our lives are so valueless and so trivialized that this information and data is just meaningless. And so 
that's where you take it. I think that's where we have to take it right there is that this is why we can't talk about some of these issues is because of the imagination, which is deeply, it's, it's philosophical, it's religious, and it's been there forever. And I, I'll close with this. So W.E.B. Du Bois, that was his big dilemma. Du Bois spent his entire life trying to, quote unquote, prove the humanity of black people through science and sociology. But Du Bois in his lifetime, unfortunately, you know, did not succeed at doing that. Mm. <laughs> You know, mm. so much so that he left and moved to Ghana, you know, and died, you know, uh, when he did. And so this is an ongoing problem that we have. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on, I don't use Twitter too much, but normally at uh, Facebook, uh, Ronald, Ronald Neal. Um, uh, on Tumblr, I've got a blog on Tumblr that's been there. It's called The Political Sexy. It's an old blog. I don't, I don't do too much blogging these days. Okay. But I'm not that far, I'm not that hard to find. Um, on social media and and of course um, where I teach at Wake Forest University well man I want to thank you for being on the Onyx Report we appreciate it and uh, feel free to, to, to folks to comment in the comment section we'll have Dr. Neal kind of glance at those on YouTube alright so thank you for joining us and I will see you again um, in it looks like October uh, first and third Wednesdays of each month so that'll be October 4th alright peace